life might hand you budgets, schedules, family, and responsibility. But driving shouldn't be just another chore. We're here to help you find a car you love. Something that fits your budget and your needs, but is fun to drive and makes you look back. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car to Be. We look at all the same sites you do, so you probably noticed that last week, and actually ongoing now for the public, is the Tokyo Auto Show. Yeah. So there's been yeah. a ton of big reveals, and let's pull the sheet off of this crazy piece of, of car design and concepts. And I have to say the same thing I say every time. I like concepts because they're cool photographs, and then I almost it almost leaves my brain. <laughs> I use the synapses for other use because I just feel like we're not in reality. But Go we look at still, eye candy. And we then, should still talk about them a yeah. little bit. But I don't feel like concepts ever are really a thing. Subaru's doing it again, well, as is everybody. But yeah, Tokyo, I'd love to go to the show because mm -hmm. it's traditionally it cool. been the wacky, weird stuff of mobility just in general. Mm -hmm. You know, Honda mm -hmm. with the robots, sure. you know, yeah, the yeah. Asimo robots yeah, yeah. and you know, all that kind of stuff from, from years past. They would give designers almost creative autonomy mm -hmm. to go nuts, just go invent some kind of mobility and what's popular was um you know disabled folks you know just getting people upstairs or mm. you know trying to overcome various obstacles or challenges like that that's been a, a good topic for the past mm -hmm. i i'm very intrigued by where car styling in general is going mm. and starting to see a, a getting away from a lot of clichés because okay. of manufacturing trends and because of powertrains and all that stuff i'm really glad to see we're kind of getting away from some things other things you think okay that's recycled but one of the biggest things that i'm seeing is lighting hmm. headlight lighting has freed everybody up to come up with because you can designs. do what you want that's an interesting instead thought. of just well i've got to have a bulb or i've got to have a halogen projector yeah. it's but leds can do all kinds of things to do yeah, good point different designs and then integrate them into designs yeah. you know in pinstripes and all, that's a all good kinds point. of random stuff. That's a really so good point. That's really that. pushing things. Okay. Lighting alone. Okay. It's interesting to see how tech drives styling. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm fascinated by this. And we're going to continue to see that. But just sure, where we're at sure. right now with lighting alone, and we're seeing tons of these concepts. Yeah. I've got favorites, and I've got a few picked out here I want to talk about. But okay. what struck you about all this stuff coming out of the well, auto show? I like I like the two electric sports cars that are discussed. Now, of course, here's my problem. These are concepts, which means... Will this ever show up? Will it look anything like this? Will it be anything like this? I don't have the – I actually don't have this model written down in front of me because it came out actually a couple of weeks ago. But they, I know they were having it at Tokyo, and that was essentially Toyota drops a sports car concept that is, for all intents and purposes, the 86 gone electric. Mm -hmm. So there was right. that. Right. Which – Okay, we've talked back and forth about what happens to enthusiast driving and what happens when electric cars become enthusiast cars. I know Tesla, I mean, Tesla originally did their, their Roadster, and of course that was based on the Elise. I know all that, but obviously that was a trial run car and an expensive toy car. Mm -hmm. But once you get mm -hmm. down to, uh, again, taking the 86 chassis and making a sports car, and then Honda has their sports EV. Which is pretty intriguing to me. Which is very cool. It, I, I see some... Uh, some AMG GT in it, in the styling. Okay. I see okay. some Jaguar F-Type in the styling. Sure. But yet scaled down. And of course, you know me, I love little stuff. Yeah. Oh, so it's yeah. very intriguing. Will we ever see anything like this? I will promptly not hold my breath, but I like the fact that it's being shown and some people are thinking about it. 
And it's definitely being explored. And from the concepts you're talking about, especially Mazda and Honda, we're Ooh, seeing... Yeah. Mazda's mm, got some great looking stuff. Oh, yeah. Just less surface breakup, especially mm. with this Honda that you're talking about, this sports EV concept. It's just clean surfaces yeah, with yeah, yeah. recognizable classic shapes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they're... I mean, bright colors would work well on these cars. We're great. We're great. So we're back to just surface and form rather than breaking things up with a lot of design elements, mm -hmm. which I think gets dated very quickly. Mm -hmm. There's even a supercar that we've seen. It's the new Apollo Intensa Emotion. Oh, yes. Well, we'll get there, though. Yeah. 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 We <laughs> it, should I mean, that there. is just the opposite of what we're talking about. But Mazda is killing it for mm -hmm. me. They've got this RX Vision that's been out for a while, and they're confirming ish this rotary <laughs> range extender there. They haven't quite let the rotary die, which I'm thankful to see. Yeah, it's interesting. And then two from the Tokyo show, this Vision Coupe and the Kai concept, which is a possible future Mazda 3. Mm -hmm. It's my understanding what I'm reading. I'm in love with what Mazda's doing. It looks doing. really cool. Yeah, it's they're killing it. it's clean shape. If you look at these cars and the images, they're designing with highlights. Mm -hmm. That's it. It's a great point. There's no surface breakup. It's a great it's point. It's all surface tension. Mm, it's, that's a good description. I it's like that. all just, you know, there's some underlying things yeah, yeah, yeah. about these cars. You know, I'm sort of flexing my shoulders here, but I, I love what yeah. Mazda is doing. But you're right. That's a great description. I hadn't thought about it in those terms, but, but of course you would know the terms for it. But it does look great. And I agree with you. There are those cars. It's funny you said they're designing with highlights because I kept thinking this is a car you would recognize in either silhouette or only those little line drawings where you see Top of the hood, top of the uh, mm -hmm. top of the roof, and you go, oh, I know what that is. Mm -hmm. It's that kind of design thinking, which is so iconic and really yeah. impressive. Yeah. So I'm loving that. Uh, the thing I thought actually, another thing about this sports EV from Honda, the fact that they did a black paint, like alternative paint on what would have been the grill and what would be some of the diffuser stuff. Of course, they don't need that anymore. It's an electric right. car. Right. But they're creating negative space with paint. Because I think if it was all one color, it wouldn't work as well. Yeah, very true. So that's interesting as well. And then, of course, that also makes those those uh, circle headlights stand out so much better. Back to what you're saying about using LEDs to kind of do whatever you want with lighting, which is fun. So I do like that a lot. Uh, in the what the heck is going on category, I have to call this out. Okay. Nissan, thankfully, has redesigned, and this isn't completely new news. They've redesigned the Leaf, which desperately was in need of a redesign. I mean, first-generation Leaf... Terribly ugly. They've turned and over a new leaf? Nicely done. <laughs> you knew it was coming. Somebody Stop. had to see it. Anyway, but, but of course, the, <laughs> people kept making excuses for the original leaf because they said the headlights are as awful as they are because of aerodynamics. That's fine. But I think it's interesting that they went much more traditional with the second version, and apparently aerodynamics didn't shoehorn them into doing something that looks weird <laughs> this time. But then they said, you know what this needs? A Nismo version. <laughs> what happened there? I, it's, it's maybe the enthusiasts are winning the war. Maybe no, they're not internally because based on what I'm reading about it, it's going to be like breathed on by Nismo and it's mostly paint <laughs> and maybe a badge or two. Seriously. It's not like if this was legitimately like, wow, yeah. you made an enthusiast car out of the leaf. Okay. Nismo badge. Let's bring that out. But, but as what I was reading about it is that the Nismo thing is so beloved in Japan, that they can put it on stuff and people will pay for it, even if there really aren't very many changes. And they're doing it for the Japanese market only because it's like, oh, it's Nismo. 
Well, it's like Shelby, you know, doing uh, special editions or Ford doing the Steve McQueen edition Mustang or sure, you know, it's badging and paint. Yeah. And very minor you get changes. A horsepower or two. <laughs> but I cannot believe I actually read one thing that talked about the fact that this new leaf is still doing zero even the Nismo version is still going to do the 0 to 60 in like two and a half seconds slower than the Bolt. Oh, you're kidding me. And you don't buy the Bolt to be a rock star, but the Bolt is still like six and a half, seven seconds. It's not which, terrible. Which is in the middle range of normal cars. Yeah, yeah. And your Leaf is back there killing itself, trying to pull off like nine <laughs> seconds. In, <laughs> is and, it really? And, and honestly, if you have the Nismo paint job and you're getting passed by an FRS and you're in an electric car with full torque at zero RPM, that's a problem. <laughs> what just... is this car doing? With the Leaf, I just I want the engineers to sort of be let out of their box a little bit. You know, we we rewound the electric coils in the motor, and so they actually drain the battery faster, but it's way quicker. Or the car's going to blow up at thirty thousand miles, but those thirty thousand miles are going to be <laughs> awesome, be genius. Well, <laughs> but let's look at all of the current electric vehicles. The problem with electric vehicles on the used market is we're all treating them like we are computers. You That's can true. get a two-year-old computer for cheap. That's you can true. get a two-year-old electric car for, like, change in your pocket. I mean, we were just talking about the i3 the last couple podcasts and the fact that they are a third of what they originally cost, and you've got options. I mean, these electric cars, because the tech is moving so fast in that area specifically, are old quick. You know how we've talked about cars, say, from early 2000s with the, yeah. the nav screens and systems that really, frankly, were terrible? Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, your, your yeah, phone yeah. right mm -hmm. now is far better. Absolutely. Are we going to look down our noses at Tesla screens from early Tesla cars that are huge? But then, you know, screen technology and, and the interface and the GUI, everything's moved on since then. Mm. But the entire car is based around a screen. Yeah. Is yeah, it yeah. future proof? I had to, hate to use that term, but is it good enough to last us 10 years? And, you know, are smartphones going to be better than the big 17 inch screen point, and yeah. the Model 3 will be? Point, yeah. I'm just wondering, will they be able to take those out and upgrade your screens along with your battery pack? And then theoretically, okay. I mean, the, the one thing are still there. The one thing that Tesla's doing, because you've got, if you think about the old nav screens, they were limited by sheer resolution and their their ability of brain brain power. They mm -hmm. were just they were frozen the in time. Power and at least power. the Tesla can keep doing an update, just like your phone can push an update for the new operating system overnight. And you wake up in the morning and your phone interface is different and new and I didn't know I didn't upgrade my phone, but there it is. To an extent that'll be possible with mm -hmm. the Teslas of the world. But you know what I'm I'm just thinking about right now, and I'm sure somebody's already way ahead of me on this that actually has the brain and the manpower and money to do it. But you know what I want? Talking about future tech here, All right. is not the big screen. I want the more involved heads up display. Let's think minority report. Okay? Because you know, we were recently in the the Camaro ZL one. And it's got a pretty good heads-up display. It's full color. You've got your speed. You've got your RPM. You've got your this is the speed of where you of the actual road you're on, so you know that you're speeding. And you know what's your G meter? All of that's right up front. The Mazda three has some of that info right up front. But where's the overlay, heads-up style mm. of your navigation? overlaid out your screen <laughs> and then your big screen in the cabin becomes irrelevant or becomes something that passengers get to use because it's not important to you as the driver. I want to say more to this because I've actually been in meetings with Tesla. I'm sure about that very conversation. I'm sure, I'm sure they're way ahead on that, I, but it, I it can't should happen. Say too much, but they're hiring people from the game industry. Let's yeah. put it that way because that may, that makes sense. And then at yeah. that point you can update that and then it's screen irrelevant 
because now it's a projection. Right. Right. I yeah. They're they're exploring this. And, of course they um, are <clears throat> using particular Autodesk software to do it with, which mm-hmm. is cool. So uh, yeah, I I want to say more, but no, I I think you're right. I'm just very curious about how all this is is coming down to uh, yeah technology driving design, mm-hmm. which is fascinating to me. But we've got to touch on this Apollo concept that is um, the opposite of clean design. The sketches look cool, <laughs> well, but well, they built on. a sketch. But it, you talk about opposites. Here's the opposite of it. Look at the last Apollo, the Gumpert Apollo. Yeah. Okay. That was a giant killer. We've seen them at the ring. We've seen them other places. Anytime somebody took them to the track, they were shockingly good at the track. And it was just like, whoever we're running with, if you're on a track day, your Gumpert will be the fastest thing out there. Then it was discussed as being mostly unattractive. And if you look at the design, not mostly. Yeah, exactly. If you, I'm trying to be nice. If you look at the you're design, it's being, kind of this well. like rounded boxes. Is the whole? It's like they they built it out of a bunch of blocks and then rounded off some corners and went. That's good enough. So everybody <laughs> thought generally thought, seemed to think it was an ugly car. I feel like they went into the design brief and said nobody likes our boxy car. Please do the opposite, and you get this. It's exactly the opposite. Everything is sharp points and big swoops, and there's no box shape on the entire car. I mean, it makes carbon fiber look really good. It showcases the technology of what carbon fiber can do, and I love that. But this is a car for 10 people. They're going to build 10. Mm -hmm. There Mm -hmm. was no focus group. It was just build a sweet car that's fast, and it'll sell. And as we've joked earlier, they're all going to disappear into garages. Nine will be in Dubai or mm-hmm. Saudi Arabia or somewhere on the planet in yeah. air-conditioned garages. We'll see one in Germany, and that will be that. Somebody will be hooning one on the ring. Yeah. And then everybody else will have them in garages as car number 70 or 80 and might take it <laughs> yeah. out now and then and will probably never track it. And it'll be a tragedy. Because I'm sure tech-wise and capability-wise, it'll be shocking. They're talking about 3,000 pounds of downforce, which I, I'm having trouble wrapping my brain around it. But what oh I love gosh. what I love about it is it's naturally aspirated, which True. shocks me. True. I mean, this looks like a beast. But when you make 10 cars, think about this for a second. Think about how hard all of the major automobile journalism outlets, like the, the stratospheric folks, how hard they had to fight to get the last three hypercars. The oh, LaFerrari, yeah. the P1, and the 918. <laughs> right. Those are mass-produced in comparison to this Apollo. Those <laughs> the are planet like, is littered with those they're cars They're practically handing them out on the corner by comparison because <laughs> right. there's hundreds out there, right. which means will there ever be journalists that get in this to ever discuss it because they're going to be bought by somebody and then vanish? Yeah. Yeah, it's a tra- tragedy, but... Hopefully, we'll see them around, maybe in Germany. Maybe. We'll, we'll see. One more slightly more down-to-earth car, and then we really ought to do some car debates. I have to talk on it. I don't have much to say because I've touched on this topic before. But the Subaru Visiv. Visiv or Visiv, oh, however you pronounce oh, it. Brother. They did it again. The They're teasing word. us with coolness. This, this is my problem. It, they've done it again. They've said, new yep. WRX, and I'm not buying it anymore. I'm not buying it anymore. Show me the real WRX. <laughs> you can keep your concept I don't care. Well, as I've said before, this concept might have been done after the production car, and then they'll show us that. And a line or two or a feature or two will reference this. And that will be that. It'll have the wheels. Lo and behold. Part of the diffuser and the front grille, which is the... Honestly, if you take that front grille off and put any other front grille of any other manufacturer, it could be probably anybody else's concept car. Kind of. It's a little sharp, even for Audi, what they're doing right now. It's a little bit aggressive. 
but, but yeah, I, I could see that. Maybe but I have been burned too there. many times yeah. on the, this is the new WRX, and I go, oh, that's so cool. And then it looks nothing like that. <laughs> it's going to look, they're going to take that concept and take it through the bland dryer, and it's going to come out. The <laughs> bland dryer. It's going to come out as the new WRX. Nice, nice. Well, before we jump into car debates, guys, we've got a track day coming up November 17th, 2017 at Laguna Seca. We are partnered with ncracing.org. Mm-hmm. So go to everydaydriver.com slash adventures for all the details. And as we've said before in prior podcasts, you can just sample the buffet. You can come to dinner. You yeah. can join us for PCH Drive. You can do yeah. it all. Yeah. So that's all the details there about what we're doing. But to for actually sure. sign up for the track day, it's ncracing.org. Yep. The November 17th track day. Mm-hmm. And that's where we'll be at for, uh, for our upcoming track day. Can't believe we're going finally. I'm really, really yeah, excited. It's going to be great to meet a lot of you. A lot of you already signed up and said you're going to be joining us for certain portions. We're trying to push all that info out. That sign up to let it, to, to kind of get on our radar to know about how to be involved with different parts. That is on our website, everydaydriver.com slash adventures. There's the sign up there to get all the, the itinerary, if you will. So that's the way to do that. We're very excited to those of you that have already reached out to us and signed up. It's going to be a really cool meetup couple of car debates are both for U.S. active duty military. Yeah. First is for Anthony. He is an Air Force dentist. And we also have Alvaro out in Michigan. He's active duty Army. There's the thread. Mm-hmm. I've been, been working on this. You've been, yeah, the threads all exist, which is great, which is great. And uh, they have some similarities. But, uh, yeah, we'll start with Anthony here, who says he's a car freak about to move to Europe because, mm-hmm. as we said, he is an Air Force dentist. He has been a longtime subscriber. Thank you so much, Anthony, for, for listening sure. and for watching and for sure. following along. He writes in with his car history just to kind of, you know, stake in the ground. I am definitely a car enthusiast. Mm-hmm. We, we believe you. And, and uh, well, it sounds like the German car thing was cemented early, yeah, early yeah. in life. Well, and then he decided he was obsessed with uh, Volkswagen R32s. <laughs> This is the, the funniest story. He, he's owned four. <laughs> he keeps selling it, going, I'm done. And then he sells it and goes, I should have kept that car. And goes and buys another one. He's on his fourth. So after graduating college, he accepted an Air Force scholarship to pay for dental school and then treated himself to his dream car, which was an 04 Volkswagen R32 in Tornado Red. <laughs> after owning it for a while, he decided he was ready for something more grown up, what he calls a big boy car. So he bought an 04 Audi S4 with the V8. There's no growing up. Just accept <laughs> the fact I am an overgrown child and you can be too. And speaking of that, he missed his R32 so much, he sold that and bought another one. So R32 number two in deep blue pearl. That was a 2008. However, that was an automatic. So we sold that and bought an 04 in reflex silver. And then went through the same cycle again of, you know, I should get a you know, more grown-up car. And he sold it and got a 2010 Audi S4. Yeah. You're noticing a pattern here. Yeah. We're but, hopping back and forth between the A4 <laughs> chassis and the R32. Exactly. The R32 is like the palate cleanser or possibly the addiction, depending on how you look at yeah, it. Right. So the twist here and the good news is he found his wife with that car, with the Audi. I don't think she came with it. She but at come the same with time, it. while he was driving a, a kind of an adult not stirring, car by, yes, his, by his own this ownership opinion, time He period. then meets his wife. So that's good news. So – Met his wife and then promptly sold the Audi for a 2011 GTI, (laughs) but then again, missed the R32 so much, he bought a fourth R32 2004 in Black Magic Pearl, which he currently has. (laughs) We're safe for right now. So really, the short version of this is uh, Anthony's car history is R32. (laughs) 
that's really where we've gone. But he's a, obviously, as you do in the military, you move a lot. So he's he's facing a new move, and he's going to wind up in one of three places. And I love he broke this down in a way nobody else has ever done it. Mm. He says he's probably going to move to he's going to move to one of three places. It's going to be Germany, mm-hmm. England, or California. And he doesn't know yet. Right. He right. thinks it's going to be in that order, like Germany's most likely. But it's one of those three. Be a three-year stint in either of these places. Theoretically, about, I mean, right? Three to five. It, it's two to five, depending upon needs and your branch and all this kind of stuff. Sure, sure. But that's, I mean, that's a pretty common cycle. Okay. So, all right. So a lot he's going to root canals to do. It'll be longer. I mean, wh- wherever he is, they're going to need they're going to need that work done. So anyway, so what he's done is he's saying, "Help me find the car per location," and then he breaks down. <laughs> right. Here's what I think I should be driving at each of these locations. He's got an idea for California, one for Germany, one for England. This is great. And that's the way he broke it down. So this car debate is actually, find me a car based on where I might be stationed. <laughs> and I love this breakdown by location, but I went different places than him. Okay, so I, I'm intrigued by this. He gives us suggestions. He's got a 5 to 20 mile commute to work, probably the same at all these different locations. And they do have, he and his wife have a Sentra 2013 Nissan Sentra with 40,000 miles, which is the Econo box. They will mm-hmm. take that with them wherever they go just for commuting yeah. purposes. So that yeah. is just an aside. They've got the Sentra that's mm-hmm. tagging around. It's the do-it-all behind them. car, which is what it is, yeah. So for California, he suggests a Porsche 997 C2S. <laughs> okay. For Germany, he suggests a 996 Turbo or a 997 C4 or C4S. <laughs> And then for England, he's got no idea. But what he, yeah, but what he does have, we're talking about somewhere in the neighborhood of forty grand is what we're talking about right. spending. Right. So he throws that out, and I, I didn't go with any of his suggestions, but I have a suggestion for each location. I do too. The only suggestion that I agree with actually is a Porsche in California. Okay. I like that a lot. Okay. The nine nine seven C two S. I get it. I'm, I'm with you for that one. However, even being the German car super freak that you are, Anthony, mm-hmm. I decided to go in different places, and we'll start with Germany. Okay? okay, okay. He's saying, should I, you know, what should I do here for for Germany, for England? Starting with Germany, I'm going Corvette. Really? I think it would be unique and fun for three years to own a Corvette or a Mustang GT. Mm-hmm. In Germany, on the Autobahn. Even though I could argue having a Porsche on the Autobahn in Germany would be sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going Corvette. And I found a website called buyavetgermany.com. <laughs> I'm surprised it's not .org, because that is a public service. There's also buyavet.net, and it's a service, uh-huh. and they'll help you find a, a Corvette. But wow. I'm loving this Corvette idea on the Autobahn in Germany. American muscle. I see it. It's unique. I see it. Partly it's the head-turning, attention-getting yeah, aspect yeah, of yeah. owning a Corvette in Germany. Unfortunately, Dodge does not sell product in Germany. Yeah. But a Corvette, like a C7, uh-huh. just a C7 Corvette you remember? in Germany, that's where I went. That's interesting. You remember when we did our pilgrimage film a couple of years ago? Yeah. We did a huge drive one day to get down to Gimbala. And we were oh, almost yeah. all the yeah, way yeah. to Gimbala. And a C7 Corvette, white one, came past us. And we were all like, a C7 Corvette? And then we realized it was a Callaway C7 Corvette right. in the middle of Germany, which is pretty much, it may, honestly, I mean, at that point, that feels more rare than a P1 because yeah. it was just like, what are you doing with an American California based tuner version of a brand new Corvette in the middle of Germany? Like, how did that get here? 
what well but the effort that that required yeah so you're right that's yeah. a total head turner car um partly it's for that is yeah, kind of a I head turning thing but it's still fast enough for autobahn for sure for sure it's it's not practical <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna have fun have fun i get it yeah and i'm just thinking you know you're you're a dentist you know it's sort of like the cliche yo you're a dentist oh what what color porsche is yours you know yeah fair point but in america I'm fine with that. And that's why I'm fine with the California thing in America. Okay. All right. And I just thought, you know what? You're in Germany. Turn some heads. Be loud and proud and just throw it out there. So then in England, my headspace shifted. Okay. Again, I'm taking your German car thing into, uh, into my mind here. I'm taking that into consideration. I didn't suggest something British. Okay. I thought, all right. How about a German car in England? Mm -hmm. Because of my neighbor down the street, who is from the UK, and Mm -hmm. we just happened to strike up a conversation that I kind of led him to about all these executive saloons that drop off a cliff in value, which are primarily tax reasons Mm -hmm. in the UK. And so if you're going to own a year-old car versus a brand new one, the taxes are about the same, is my understanding. So why not have a brand new car? But then these others just languish, and they drop off a cliff in terms of price. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, all right, I started with a CLA, something hot, the CLA 45. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. 33,000 pounds, okay? Okay. Interesting, that'd be spry in England. But then I thought, you know what, throw that out. BMW M3 in England, right-hand drive. Okay. And if you're uncomfortable doing the manual transmission thing, of course, you've got a great gearbox. You can get the DCT. True, true, true. Okay. So I found you a 2011 M3 with a competition pack, DCT in mineral white, Ooh. with 17,000 miles for only 30,000 pounds. Wow, wow, wow. Talk wow. about a drop off the cliff. Luxury executive car mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that fell off a cliff. It is right-hand drive. Mm-hmm. You have got to go experience the glory of this car. Mm. <laughs> I'm, I'm M3 in England okay. is where I'm at. So uh, very different. And then, yes, back to California. I love it. Porsche. Not eleven in, in California. Okay, all right. A little bit typical, but but okay. I'm I'm down with it. Um, I've got some s- similar choices, but I mixed them up a lot. Okay, this I'm is curious. cool. I like this. I like this. I actually love this whole car debate, honestly, because I, Anthony, I just love that you took it and you and you broke it down by location. I wouldn't have never thought of it that way. This is fun. So okay, he calls out, and you you can't follow it along. He called out the nine nine seven nine eleven for California, and I like that with a twist, though. He okay. says, "Okay, C two S, yeah." But if we're going nine nine seven, you know what I think you need because nowhere in here is this a track car. No, we're in here. No, no. Is this a car that he plans to track? He wants to drive it and enjoy it. And and I get the sense that you want to have an experience that feels not only a great car, but the car feels somehow unique and cool and connected to the experience of where you're living. That's kind of what I'm gleaning from this. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I say 997 Targa. Oh, the current Targa is the old is the nostalgia Targa where it, it folds back with and the blah, roll blah. hoop and that. But the nine nine seven Targa is essentially a huge glass roof. Yeah, and it has the wide body of the turbos and and the four S, but it's got Dig this that. amazing glass roof that slides back, huge glass top on it. it kind of is designed for California. It is. So you've got all the benefits of a convertible, which is the total California thing. Without buying the convertible, you can still close it up, have it be a coupe. They're not common. Every time I – there's a red one around in Park City. Every time I see that car, it turns my head. It's pretty cool. The stance is awesome. They're not that common. 997 Targa, my friend, is the answer for California. Dig it. That's where I'm going there. Dig it. Okay. For for Germany, 
I stayed German because I just thought— We did, okay. The Autobahn is such a unique place. It is. And and, and look, the Autobahn—well, first off, the Autobahn is the name for the German freeway system. Yeah, it's highway. The the Autobahn is not synonymous with go as fast as you want. (laughs) That's a common misconception. So— only the de-restricted areas. There are de-restricted. Yeah. And by the way, that doesn't mean the letter D and then restricted. It means a lacking of restriction. They, meaning they've removed the restriction. Go as fast as you would like or you are comfortable going. And there's rules. Somebody actually asked about Autobahn drivers. afford to go. Exactly. But I think you need to get either, and you need to look over there and find the one that you like the most, but get a super hot M car or a super hot AMG. Okay. Like because this. you're not going to track it. You're not going to take it. It doesn't need to be a tiny little road car. Mm-hmm. You need to have something that when the road opens up in front of you, you can just put your foot down because that is a unique thing in the entire world. And those big boy cars are built for it. I just say embrace it. I'm not saying a Porsche couldn't. I'm not saying that. But that the M car and the big Mercedes with the big engines, sure. they rule the Autobahn. They do. There's always a big black sedan that's faster than everybody. Whoever who Always. Whenever you're the big dog, one of those is hunting you down. Yeah. yeah. So I think embrace that uniqueness and embrace the fact that you're not only in a country that allows that, but cars that were built to do it. Sure. And get either, I mean, look, I could go on a list, but shop BMW M cars and shop Mercedes AMGs within your budget in that region and find something hot and just embrace that culturally. Yeah, I I definitely understand that. And then England. It's unique. Because you said you have no idea, I followed two different thoughts here. I have more for England than anywhere because you you were lost. The first thought is go British. You're in England, go British. I was doesn't thinking mean, of that. Doesn't mean you couldn't get these cars elsewhere, but just to complete that experience. So we're talking about an experience. Go native kind of thing. So I thought of three. All right. My least favorite, but it has to be out here, is any any Mini product. Get a Mini Cooper. Ideally, get get small, but I love the right-hand drive. And if you're going to get the Mini, you also should get, it's going to be a challenge, manual transmission. Sure. Because there's something. Sure. We did it recently in actually a, a Japanese uh, Skyline, uh, Japanese market Skyline. We have a fast blast coming up. So it was not only right-hand drive, but it was... Manual transmission, so shift with your left hand, and that so takes fun. actual thought. Yeah, so that's a cool the challenge. The rearview mirror was actually more of a challenge for me than anything. Oh, that's a good point. That that's just a great point. Me up you can't like look you right. Leave. Well, the other one that made me laugh is I never <laughs> ever got the turn signal right. Nope, that's the wipers again. Nope, that's the wipers again. <laughs> right. You'd think by the end of driving that car for a while, I would, nope, still got the wipers. Anyway, so, <laughs> but I I do think if you're going to go mini, you should go manual transmission. But I prefer for you. A right-hand drive Evora, used Evora. Oh. Because you've been talking 911s elsewhere. Yeah. So go Evora in England or an F-Type. F-Type would be sweet in England. Because it's just – so if we're going to go England, England, that's that's where I'm following on those two. Okay. But then I thought the other thing about England that's interesting is they love their hatchbacks and they have amazing windy B-roads. It's true. That's true. So you're a golf guy. Get a Golf R. The Golf R is a king over there. Oh, that's Get good. Get a Golf yeah. R. Just something small and nimble. And the, and the R, I mean, every single British outlet loves the R hmm. because they're such a hatchback fan anyway. Those little hatchbacks are great for B roads. The R can be your really nice commuter or it can be your, oh, look, the road's tiny and sharp. And, oh, look, there's a sheep and let's blast by it. They can be that car. <laughs> but then the other one I thought of that's not common because we don't get them here, thinking hatches the Mercedes A-Class. Oh. The 45 AMG of the Mercedes A-Class is a hot, 
hot car, and it is a great, great hatchback. We don't get them here at all. So you stay German. You oh, go completely love unique. It if we had them here, right-hand drive Mercedes A-Class with the big AMG breathing down your neck. That's awesome. That's my England recommendations. I dig that. Yeah, just you know the brain flop that you're going to have to do for sure. For I sure. mean, same thing with you know UK British drivers and Japanese drivers here. You know, same kind of thing. You got to flop your brain again. But well, and I invariably, just, I struggled with the mirrors. It's just funny. feeling like an idiot. Well, and then and then car placement too, because you're invariably not enough in your own lane. <laughs> yes, that's the other thing exactly. that happens. Like, wait, no, no, wait, no, no. Okay, now I'm in my lane. I'm still over the line. What? What am I? Oh yes, right. Granted, we made it worse because we were driving the car with the controls on the opposite side for the side of the road we're driving. At least when you're in England, the entire the process switch. has flopped. Yeah. So the yeah. only thing that freaks me out in England every time I go there is riding in a cab when he comes up to a T-junction and he can turn left without stopping. Right. <laughs> because that's you're in the left side of the road and you can just – it's exactly like our right turns. Right. But right. our brains don't work that way. So the worst thing – I've tried actually to focus. When I'm riding in a cab in downtown London, I try to pay attention because if I don't pay attention and I half pay attention, I get freaked out. We come flying up to a left turn and just take it. <laughs> anyway. Funny, funny. Well, uh, Anthony, hope this was really helpful. If you've got your own car debate, write to us at everydaydrivertv at gmail.com, or you can find us on the website everydaydriver.com with your own debate and give us a twist. You know, what are you interested in? Maybe yeah, it's hockey this or your own dogs or something interesting like this. Or hockey playing dogs. Yeah. Oh, that, that'd be really interesting. That'd be interesting. I don't know what car that is, but we'll think about it. Honda Elements, maybe? I don't know. Give us a quick break and we'll be right back. Hey, it's Jay Moore, and it is time, finally, for America's Lakers podcast. That's right, I'm going to be hosting America's Lakers podcast. My man, Aaron Larsoul, an analytical genius, he's going to bring to the table what I can't every Wednesday. America's Lakers podcast exclusively at podcastone.com, the podcastone.com app, which I highly recommend. You can rate and review this podcast on all Apple products. And guess what we're not going to do? We're not going to bathe in the gossip and the gratuitous negativity that's been swallowing Los Angeles whole lately. Who did what? Who snitched? Who said what? How about truth? How about facts? How about statistics? How about rotations? What's Luke Walton thinking? Who's underperforming? Who's overachieving? Who's rewarded? Who's coming? Who's going? And what are we going to do with all that delightful, delicious cap space? America's Lakers podcast with me, Jay Moore, and my man, my brother, Aaron Larsoul, every Wednesday, podcast1.com. Geico presents eyewitness interviews with inanimate objects. This is Brian Bruno, live on the scene of a recent windstorm, here to describe the event, a chest of drawers. There's a storm howling outside, so I thought I'd stay in and watch a rom-com. Five minutes into the flick, a tree branch slams through the window. Were you hurt? <laughs> I just got a scratch on my chest. Your chest of drawers can't help you in a windstorm, but the GEICO Insurance Agency can help you get covered for personal property damage. Call GEICO to see how affordable homeowners insurance can be. And we're back with Alvaro now. He is active duty Army in Michigan, and uh, he has decided the pickup must go. <laughs> that's that's really the headline here. He's he's stationed in Michigan. He has a two year old son. He and his wife, and uh, and he's driving between. Uh, that's the thing. Stationed in Michigan, his wife and son are in Pittsburgh. Yeah. So Bit now he's road tripping to see his family. That's like tough. Eight hour drive or something. That's like that? tough, Alvaro. And you've been road tripping in the 2015 Ram 1500 Eco Diesel, Ooh. and have realized 
this is not the car for this. Jassy also owns a 2007 Mini Cooper S, mm-hmm. the John Cooper Works tuning kit. He said, I tuned it unnecessarily. It's almost undrivable on the road and starting to turn into his money pit. Yeah. So he's got these cars that are kind of opposite ends of the spectrum. You could park the Mini in the bed of the Ram. You could. And, and honestly, he's realizing that neither of them are what he needs. Yeah. So unfortunately, he's a little bit underwater on the Ram. He thinks it's time to get rid of the Mini. So the, the plan here is both get sold, and we're going to try to get something else that's better. His wife also loves listening to the podcast. Hello, Alvaro's wife. I'm glad you're <laughs> listening as well. We always love it when uh, you know the guys are shopping for their wives or their girlfriends. Yeah, for sure. It's always fun. Uh, so this will be interesting because we're going to get rid of these cars despite this $6,000 underwater thing that you've got going on with the Ram. So Hopefully the Mini will wipe that out. Hopefully, yeah, that, Hopefully that it will stinks. mostly kill it. Yeah. So negative equity there. So far, he's driven a 2017 WRX mm-hmm. and a 2015 Audi A3 Quattro. Mm-hmm. He likes both for different reasons, but kind of thinking the WRX has a bunch of road noise just for this commute. Yeah. So it's kind of, yeah. what's a fun commute car here? What's something I can just really enjoy, but it's not going to, you know, gas and, you know, yeah. put me to sleep and just be too comfortable, too soft. Yeah. Those kinds of things. You've got to, you know, who knows when you're going to be driving at night or whenever. You want a car that's going to keep you awake and fun to drive and stimulating. I think that's true. And luckily, your wife has said, go ahead and get something fun. I mean, she'd like a little bit of practicality, but she said, go get something fun. Get something you really like, which is awesome that she's endorsing that. So you're shopping for kind of all of the above. And that's the thing. I, I sense the struggle here because you want something fun, genuinely fun. But the primary use is going to be this long drive. So we we can't go off into – look, I'll give you the obvious obvious cliche. I can't get you into a Lotus Elise because the way you're using it, you're just not going to like it enough. Right. So so fun fun has got to have a real element of let's drive this for a long time because that's necessary. Impracticality is our specialty, so you've come to the right place, Alvaro. (laughs) We love talking about that. He's eyed Caymans. Which is good. He's not driven one yet, but he's trying to keep the payment down. So he's limiting me to no more than twenty grand, somewhere in the fifteen to twenty grand range but for the next car. We have to come out and say the reason he's he's eyeing Caymans is because he describes he loves everything Porsche, but he's never owned one. Yeah. So right. he would love that if he just said right now, money no object, what would I get? He'd get a Porsche. But money's a big thing here, and miles are a big thing, maintenance is a big thing. So that's where no more than twenty K happens. And so where are you on this? I went shopping for Alvaro on your behalf on, uh, let's see, I found an 07 Cayman, not an S, 58,000 miles for 17.9. Ooh, okay. Kind of interesting. Yeah, it is. So I like what you're thinking so far, but I also found you a nice AP1 2001 Honda S2000 in Arizona for mm. 19.9, 41,000 miles, red, black interior, Gorgeous. Spectacular car. I like that. I wonder about that for the long commute, though. I'm wondering, too. And he also mentions Michigan roads. The lovely Michigan roads. Yes, this is a problem. Mm-hmm. So I thought, all right, something a little bit longer wheelbase, a little bit more comfortable, but still stimulating. Mm-hmm. And I think I found your car. Okay. Now, 996 Cabriolets are in abundant supply, apparently, for <laughs> twenty grand. Sure, sure. But I'm going with a Lama Blue. 2011 BMW 335 IS. 
Look at you. 67,000 miles for 20K on the nose for sale in Las Vegas with the dual clutch transmission. Ooh. Gorgeous car. I think this has your name on it, my that friend. That is tough to beat. I, this is a unique car. That it's is still tough low to enough beat. miles. Yeah. It looks top shape. 20 grand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 335 that's IS. Do I have 20 grand? No, that's the wrong Holy thing. Holy no, moly. Yeah. I'm just looking at this car going, why are that's you a, selling that's this? That's a great one. You're right. I hadn't. I didn't go there this time. and you, That's great. Dark Lamar blue, black interior. Trust me, that's awesome. Dark charcoal wheels. Tight looking. Yeah. Just yeah, 335s IS is we're fan, big fans of those are cool cars. Yeah, so 20 grand. I'm just saying, I'm putting it out there. 335 IS. That's that's where I'm sticking on for you. Okay. All right. That that's excellent. I don't think I can beat that, but I want to throw out a couple of options. All right. All right. You you've said Cayman. I'm I'm gonna not go Cayman, but I've got some other thoughts. Fair enough. If we're talking about he's got 20 grand at the high end. Lots of commute, which means gas mileage matters. Can this still be fun? I have to bring up the 86 chassis. It's a good point. You could point. get it for 15, 16 grand. Now. But what about the commute? That's, two, th- two thoughts on that. One, it is if the WRX was loud for you, the 86 might be too loud for you, too. But the thing yeah. I would ma- mainly say to you is please, whatever you do, do not get the TRD exhaust. Do not put an aftermarket exhaust on it. And then <laughs> when you drive it. What are you saying? Uh, hey, I'm telling you, I'm telling you reality. So then when you drive it on the freeway in sixth gear, it actually is very normal in noise levels. And it'll get 30 miles to the gallon. This is a voice of experience, Alvaro. So 30 miles to the gallon in that car, in sixth gear, just getting the commute done. And then because it was 15, 16 grand, you didn't spend your whole budget. And it isn't precious. So if a Michigan winner beats on it or whatever, okay. true. You do have a tiny backseat. You do have a fold-down so there is actual practicality in a straight, full-on sports car that you have no reason to be precious about. This is the reason I'm bringing up the 86. I don't think it's the world's greatest commute car, but I think it gets it done. Sure, especially for the price. Exactly. And I think it does Can't so many other things that just make it kind of fun and interesting. I, I just I recommend you just go drive one. It may not be right, yeah. but this is the reason I went that instead of Cayman. Okay, cool. But then I heard your Porsche love. Yeah. And I thought, you know what you should do? We have two friends of the podcast, Jay. Oh, yes. And then also our friend Jordan and his wife, Megan, down in Provo. Right. That have both bought really well taken care of 996-911s for right about nineteen twenty grand. I'm just wondering about those cars. I still and muse in, about these cars. But here's the, the thing. The in, both cases, in both cases, Are they the bought bottom? cars where the IMS had been done by the owner prior. That's what you want right there. And we're well taken care of by the owner prior. And I've, seen, I've sat in both these cars. They're both awesome. I'm not even a big 996 fan. And I sat in both of them and went, this for twenty grand? Yes, please. Yeah, no kidding. So if you really like Porsches, that's the play. Shop 996s. You can get one for your budget. Ideally, you want one that's got had the IMS done because it just doesn't take extra money out of your budget. It's already handled. Get one that's taken care of. But that's the thing I'm realizing is they're out there already done for your budget. Mm-hmm. And then you mm-hmm. can just – and because it's a 996, our friend Dale in Seattle yeah, yeah, yeah. has a 996 that it's interesting. He beats on that thing. That, that's the thing. It's, it's my call out to Dale for twice. First off, bravo to you for driving it daily, sir. But it's a 996 that for 10 feet away, you're like, that's a really nice Porsche. You get close, you're like, wow, this gets worked. <laughs> yeah, it does. But that's, but that's how he uses it. He just, yeah. it's his commute car. Which is kind of cool, All weather, actually. any day, doesn't really matter. Because the 996 is never going to be the pristine, I ought to keep this nice. 
It's a, it's a fantastic workaday Porsche, which is a crazy sentence, but I mean it. So that's why I'm saying 996. And then also, if I wanted to thank all around for you, because of your mini love, because of the miles per gallon, et cetera, you have to look at GTIs. You have to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that'll get low 30s miles per gallon. You could sit in that car and drive cross country and be comfortable. Sure. Oh, yeah. But then when the road's fun, it's still fun. So the GTI's got to be on it. Those are my three. Dale sent me a Seattle Craigslist link to a Mercedes 190 2.3, <laughs> 200,000 miles, kind of beat down. This is this a lemons car? $2,000. Whoa. And I'm going, oh, okay. Whoa. <laughs> I could have work on my house done, or I could have a 190 that needs a rebuild. <laughs> you too can buy a money pit. Step right this way, sir. I have a 190 for you. And he texts back, the disease is real. Yes, it is. Oh, my gosh. Oh, man. Well, guys, thank you both for writing in. We'll jump over to social media questions, of which there are many, as usual. We really, really appreciate it. If you've got questions, just kind of random thoughts on your mind that are maybe timely or you know, just little things like I will jump in here with, mm-hmm. uh, uh, gosh, <laughs> Wheelman GT on Instagram. He asks, how do drivers on the Autobahn differ from those on U.S. highways? Mm-hmm. I love this because it was very timely. It ties into what you were saying for earlier. Sure. For sure, yeah. The Autobahn is a special place. Mm-hmm. It It's easy to drive there. All mm-hmm. the driving rules that you know will work fine. Mm-hmm. You're just going to have to pay extra special attention because the signs are smaller and you're going to miss some things. Yeah. What we've yeah, also yeah. noticed is I know there's cars around the world that will give you the display, the instrument panel display on what your speed limit is currently where you're at, GPS-based. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But it really helps in Germany because I've been driving along and suddenly it's de-restricted and cars go whizzing past me and I think, did I – Miss a sign? And yeah, did. I did. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. shoot. So I have to downshift yeah. and floor it. Yeah. But the biggest thing to answer your question is those drivers get over. They mm-hmm. actually use their mirrors mm-hmm. and they pull to the right and hang out unless they need to pass. Yep. It's yep. the most magical thing ever. The, the, the signs you occasionally see in the U.S. that say stay right except to pass, that's how we're supposed to operate. And in Germany, people actually do. It's it's so fantastic. And then I come back to the States and, you know, the little black cloud over my head follows me around. I go, Ugh. Now, now please please don't misunderstand me, though, because there have been times my, – my first Lotus piece was one of them. There have been times that people have been frustrated with us because they're riding in from Germany. Don't understand we're in the left lane. Here's the other part about the left lane in Germany, though. If you're the big dog – you do stay in the left lane. Don't please don't misunderstand. Here. Sure, it's not like you're doing 150 miles an hour and you get in the left lane and then back in the middle and back in the left. No, you stay in the left lane. The only time you're getting right is because the bigger dog came up behind you doing 180. <laughs> you're giving him the lane, right? Like a 488. So, Ferrari. so what you're doing? Well, but it might be an AMG or an M class. That's true. You know, that's that's the other thing. That's the M cars, like we we're talking about earlier. So that's the thing about Germany is that yes, it's the stay right except to pass. But if you are planning to be in the fast lane the way the fast lane was intended, which is I'm going as quick as I can possibly think of, you're in the left lane. And you stay in the left lane. Watch Tom's, uh, any of Tom's Autobahn runs. He gets left lane and he stays there. Well, and what you watch mashed. And you watch people peeling off because they see him coming. But I guarantee you, if anybody comes sauntering up behind Tom, going faster than Tom, which a lot of the cars he's driven, not going to happen. But if anybody comes behind <laughs> Tom, Tom, even at high speed, would be getting over. Absolutely. He's watching his mirrors. People watch mm-hmm. their mirrors 
and they obey the rules of the road. Unlike, you know, in the U.S., all these, you know, five lanes wide just seems to be a suggestion of, hey, the cars are pointed this direction. Everybody yeah. fend for yourself. You're right. You're right. It's so frustrating. In L.A., a lot of times on the freeway, the fastest lane is the right lane. Yeah. Gosh. Which is inexplicable until you start to read the traffic and go, no, no, that's actually where cars are moving, which is, which is weird. Est Vicentius on Instagram also writes to us, when practical, when nobody's tailgating you, do you guys back into parking spaces? Heck yeah, I do. I, I generally always don't. do. I generally don't. You don't? You pull I've, in? I've realized, yeah, because I'm just much better at it. I've realized, I've realized that I don't do it enough. And when I realize that the most is when I arrive at a Cars and Coffee and everybody backs into their space and I go, oh, I got to do this. We're doing this now. <laughs> I'm not nearly as good at this. So I, I have to figure back it out. In. Yeah. I'm just, I don't know why, just yeah. like, you know, the, the getaway, you know, when you start sure. up and you're yeah. just out of there. I yeah, just, yeah. I really like that. It just kind of displays the car, turn your I wheels know. a little bit. I know, yeah, yeah. It just kind of puts it on display. It's always fun to come back out of the grocery store, wherever you're at, and just, ah, there yeah, she is. I see that. I see that. I like that. Nilanka wrote in on Facebook and asked an interesting question that I'm, I'm going to try to answer. Why is the first to second shift so hard to master is the question, and, mm. and, and any tips? Now, you haven't been clear on what your struggle is. So I'm just going to kind of extrapolate here. Okay. When you're, when you're driving a manual transmission, a lot of times the one to two shift is difficult because the car's not carrying much momentum yet. Mm-hmm. So as soon as you put that clutch in, it loses speed pretty quick. And then when you, when you get into second gear, a lot of times you can jerk or, or didn't do that right or it didn't happen like you wanted. There's a couple things I'm going to say. The first one is the big thing I had to relearn when we started driving for the show. I realized I'd been taught to drive manual transmission kind of incorrectly. Hmm. When I was taught to drive manual, it was an, the, the gas pedal and the clutch were separate realities. You never were involved in both at the same time. Oh, You're on the gas. I'm in first gear. I come off the gas. I push in the clutch. I go to second. I come off the clutch, and now I'm on the gas. Hmm. That is a recipe for the car getting jerked around all the time. Hmm. What you need to do, and one, you can get that one-two shift very smooth. Your right foot, your gas pedal foot, is almost constantly active when you drive a manual transmission. Yeah. When yeah. you're on the clutch, you can learn. On any car, you can learn how much gas to feather in to allow the, the gears to slot easier and allow the clutch to be smooth. Hmm. Oh, I like this question. Nilanka, I think on some cars, this is not a sweeping statement across the board, but some cars, the first gear is designed just to get you rolling. Mm-hmm. It's not designed to take advantage of the torque or output of the engine, whereas gears two, three, four on up, and yeah. then gears at the top of the range, of course, are the cruising, the high-speed gears. Sure, sure. So it's those middle gears designed to take advantage of the torque that your engine makes. First gear is just, let's get rolling. You know, you're not Coming taking off it to redline yeah. in first. You're just not. You're just getting rolling, and the gear ratios might be spaced more further apart sure. than second, sure. third, fourth, fifth, somewhere in there. So, again, depending on the car, not a generalization, but, you know, depending mm-hmm. on the shift pattern, you know, the car itself. Totally. That's really kind of where it's at. I mean, you can get up to 30, 40, 50 in first gear. but Depends on the car, yeah. Upshift. You might as well just get into second as quickly as you can Yeah. after, you know, after first. Um you know, even rolling, but rolling you're right. Stops. It's, it's a takeoff second. gear and, and every gearbox is a little bit different. Some cars you're going to find, I don't know what you're driving, but some cars you're going to find that one, two is really difficult and others. It's not really, you don't have to think about it at all. Mm-hmm. So it, but it, but the thing I found is once I, if you will, gave myself permission to constantly be giving the car some gas to make sure that the engine was in an optimal place, 
all of my shifting got smoother. Mm -hmm. There's a couple of questions that relate. Sean P's question on Facebook about what are some of the best seats for the enthusiast aspect you've encountered in coupes or sedans. Mm -hmm. He's loving the ATS-V Recaros that are just awesome, he says. Well, Recaro is, is, is a company that they just kind of do it right. They just know. And then Brandomness down on Instagram here, what's more important in a good seat? Is mm. it large bolsters and tight fit with slick leather, slippery leather, or no bolsters and a flat shape with the upholstery doing the work. The best seats that I think Todd and I have found come from BMW and Volvo. As far Generally as factory speaking. seats that are not like a company like Recaro stepping in. I agree with that. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah, for Ford sure. is doing some great stuff, but they're mm -hmm. Recaro seats. Mm -hmm. For sure. You know, Ford design, but Recaro makes mm -hmm. the seats yeah, ultimately. Yeah. It's interesting on that Mustang and Camaro shoot, both Recaro seats, but the design was vastly different. Hugely so, and they were very different seating positions, despite Absolutely. being made by the same company. And and I fascinating. Much preferred. I won't even tell you which, but I much preferred the seats in one over the other. And it wasn't seating position. I'm talking the seats themselves. The seats themselves. Yeah, I preferred them. Far, and, and I looked at both of them like, how did both cars get Recaro seats, and yet one of them I like so much more. Very interesting. I will say, brandomness. The material is secondary. To the design itself. To the shape. I totally agree with that. It's all about the foam, the density of foam, and the support that it provides. And then depending on the car, how much lateral support it has. Mm -hmm. If you're in a Honda Accord, do you need the huge side seat bolsters and yeah, you're yeah. wedged way down in there? And then over time, a deep seat bolster is going to get broken down just getting in and out of the car. Sure. You yeah, probably yeah, notice yeah. that on your own cars. Mm -hmm. So it depends very much on the car. But I will say, yeah, the best seats that we found... I love BMW seats. Interestingly, Porsche does make good ones, but BMW just I agree. knows what they're doing. I agree. I agree. Even on the base low end seats are yeah. so supportive. My spine is supported. You know, everything just feels like it's yeah. got you know, they're they're firm, they're not too hard, but you know, some seats are just squishy. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, just your spine just kinda slump in your lumbar sure. region yeah, and yeah. it gets gets old real quick. Yeah, it, for sure. You know, you start to feel just deadness back yeah. there. I mean, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with Paul on this one, Brandonness, but I'm also gonna say a couple other things. Like the perfect world is where the center section of the seat is not leather. The bolsters are, but the center section that your that sure. your weight goes against isn't leather, and that that kind of keeps you from moving around. But I'm gonna go right to the Lotus real quick. That's a, a fully leather seat, but it has good bolsters, and it isn't a deep seat, but it has very good bolsters, and it's a very well designed seat. The problem is when you get a seat without lateral support. Your spine and body and upper body and the way you brace the steering wheel, that's what's keeping you in place. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing that starts to get difficult once you start to really push a car. When you get a, a, a seat even in leather, which obviously is slicker, but you get a seat in leather, but it has really nice bolsters that hold you, that with the seat belt now across you will probably keep you pretty still, mm -hmm. even though it's yeah. a leather seating position versus a, you know, okay, you've got good texture on the seat, but I'm still going to brace myself because drive a car from the 70s. Any U.S. manufacturer from the 70s. You don't have a leather seating position, and yet the seats are awful. And if you take a corner, brace yourself, literally. Oh, yeah. So that's the thing for Throwing sure. Throwing a leg out against the yes. far door. Yes, throw your left leg out and brace yourself with your arms. Use an elbow if you have to. It's going to every, – everything's involved. Hoops and straps. Yep. And what's this for? Well, let me, let me go around a corner. Yeah, exactly. You will understand, my friend. All right, what else on here did you find? Uh, well, uh, Rich asked on Facebook, in honor of Halloween's scariest driving moment. Ooh. And uh, he said, you know, hopefully we haven't been in a serious accident, but scariest driving moment. I did – for a second I was like, what is, what is mine? And then I thought of it. We were shooting Pilgrimage. Okay. We decided – well, the back of Pilgrimage, we drove Spa. 
And it just so happened that you and oh, I got yeah. on spot in not like a mist, like a rainstorm. And 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 when we go when we go on our pilgrimage trip, you need to keep in mind we have amazing days, great track days that we go, and everybody that hops in has an instructor. The right. way Paul and I got on spa when we did our pilgrimage film, we we were literally like, <laughs> not like that. Twenty four hours before we got on the track, we actually got in with a group to get on the track. It was total last minute. We had no instructor. It was just we had a car from our friends at RSR. We hoped for the best. Right, right. So we hopped on in a rainstorm in the middle of my, <laughs> I believe it was second lap, maybe first lap, middle of my second or first or second lap. I did La Source Corner. It's at the, it's a essentially like 130 degree right. Crazy. It's very easy to not break well enough and it's very easy to get your line wrong. It's a pinch more than anything. It is. It is. So I did it wrong in the rain <laughs> in a car that's not mine. <laughs> with a show that doesn't have a whole lot of budget, and promptly spun the car. Fortunately, I had a camera rolling. You did, fortunately or unfortunately, yes. Anyway, so that's in that <laughs> film, Pilgrimage. But uh, And I, I can't hide it. I mean, the, the, this is when the editor in me overrides my own ego. And I go, oh, that's going in. I mean, I don't, I don't, right. I don't want to be quite that stupid on camera, but the editor in me goes, oh, yeah, that's in the film. But, but here's the thing. I had that moment when I first lost traction and I, and every bad, how bad can this go thought flooded through my brain Jeez. because I just thought this could end so many things at once because you got traffic and all kinds of other stuff going oh, on. Yeah. It's a blind corner. Who's around the corner? You can't tell until you're around the corner. Coming hot too. Yes, yes, yes. And also when you spin right there, you're spinning toward the entrance from pit lane. <laughs> so you got cars coming two directions. So once the car started to get sideways, luckily I had the wherewithal, the split second after my brain went so many bad things, I had the wherewithal to counter and to do the right things and to get the car to a stop before it actually got all the way around. Yeah, yeah. Didn't and hit you got, anything. I didn't hit a thing. Just but there was your that ego hit a wall more than anything. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, your body's writing checks. Anyway, moving, your ego's writing checks. Your body can't cash. Yeah, anyway, right. there's a movie quote for the night. Moving on. But here's the thing. I did have that initial loss of traction moment where I just thought, this is going to end terribly. And then the instincts, or or that's not fair. The instinct was, this is going to go terribly. The training of, here's what you have to do. Eyes, counter, what am I doing? Get this solved. Luckily, that I embraced that fast enough that for not to go to disaster. But there was a split second, man. Ugh. One of the worst ever. Yikes. Well, interestingly, mine has not been on track. I can think of two, and they were both on LA freeways. Ooh. One was a construction, a big ladder, like a, you know, extending aluminum oh, ladder. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Laying in the freeway, oh. but parallel, and it was right on the middle section, right on the dotted lines between lanes. Oh. So nobody was hitting it, but you came upon it in a second. Sure. And sure. whizzed past it and then went, I could have hit that and caused a lot of damage. Or thrown that ladder at another car, or a ladder, yeah. a big aluminum ladder laying perfectly wow. on the center stripe. That's so terrible. The other one, there was a car parked in an in a a lane that is the on ramp for one, you know, onto the freeway, and mm -hmm. an off ramp for a particular exit. They're right in the middle of that, wow. stopped with their Yikes. lights off at night. Oh no! It was a Camry, and I whizzed past, and I thought. Unless your car broke down, you chose that. You chose right there to stop mm -hmm. and turn your lights off. Hazards. I mean, not a brain, not, not a thought went through wow. your brain about safety, and mm. you know you whizzed Yikes. past it at night at dusk when it's and then you and then you realize after you passed it how badly that could have gone. Yeah, oh yeah, my gosh! Yeah. I think I didn't see it coming. Your lights oh, were off. What are you man, doing? Oh, 
anyway, yeah, just scary thinking about that. Well, did you see Luigi's question on Facebook here about, have you ever owned a car that exceeded your ability to drive it? Hmm. Or at some point in owning it, did you just conclude that you weren't good enough for the car? Interesting. I have never had that yet. I mean, there is, you're asking a couple of questions. You're talking about rich people who buy supercars and have no ability to drive mm-hmm. them properly, sure, which is sure. why rectexotics.com exists. Mm-hmm. And the other end of the spectrum of, can you ring enough out of your underpowered car? And is that more fun than mm-hmm. yeah, having yeah, yeah. an overpowered car that you can't even touch the limits? Yeah. Yeah, Up yeah. to this point, I've never owned a car. The cars have made me better Mm-hmm. Over time, mm-hmm. and as you and I have driven more things, I've worked my way up to it. So when I first bought that Porsche 928, I don't think I was the driver for that car, but fair, fair. I started to work up to that, and then I worked up to the Cayman, and mm, then I can see that, you know, on and up that. as yeah. we've had driving experience and track days, and mm-hmm. on and on. The skill mm-hmm. level grows, the knowledge grows, and the experience grows. So all those things have combined. But you know, a McLaren at this point, I. Man, we've had one in uh, in Germany that we've yeah, had yeah. hot on the Autobahn, but those things are incredibly capable. Yeah. You know, they exceed most people's ability. For sure, for sure. So something like that, yeah, yeah, I'm not there, but I think I've worked up to the cars that I've owned, and mm. I hope to continue doing that. Yeah, I, I would kind of agree with you on that. I feel like I've owned things that I can I can work my way to the limits of it. I do find it interesting. My headspace is very different with the FRS than it is with the Lotus. Oh, sure. Because with the FRS, I was aware of where the limits were. I, I found them regularly just for fun. And I just right. – and I never worried about it. Just I never worried about it. touch it and back up. Taste that. 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 that car was so docile. There's never going to bite. Yeah. The Lotus Cannon will bite. Sure. And and sure. I and I luckily the the steering is so informative that you know when you're getting anywhere if you're paying attention, you know where you're getting anywhere close to the limits. But I, I told you recently I did a a, a canyon here locally. It yeah, goes right. up over a big pass. And in the valley it was sixty five, but at the top of the canyon it was like thirty, thirty five actually not thirty, it was probably thirty five, mm-hmm. maybe forty. But it was cold enough, and this is one of those canyons that the last five or six switchbacks, it's just switchback and cliff. There's no guardrail. <laughs> so I was I was consciously thinking I should drive this at like six or seven tenths and still found some places where it got a little slidey in some of those, I mean, full hairpins. And I enjoyed that, but it's the most I've slid that car around since I've owned it. And it was at a much lower speed than it would normally happen because it was cold enough for the tires to start be going, I'm not really right for this. Hmm. But I, It's amazing I, that you're noticing that. But I walk to that level it. in the Lotus – I walk there. I ran there in the FRS. With the Lotus, I kind of like am walking my way up. But most of the cars I've owned, I feel like I'm aware of the, of the levels, and I'm, I'm working my way to try to get good enough to exploit them a lot, but I can kind of get up there and play a little bit. I will make an exception, though. didn't own it, but when you and I drove the 911 GT3 on the ring, I was so aware of how much better the car was than me. Yeah, that's a great example. When I drove that car, and it wasn't a slow lap. Same here. With an instructor who was telling us to hoon, I was still aware of the fact that I am somewhere, not kidding, in the middle of this car's capabilities. Yeah. I'm operating at 40 or 50% what this car can do. And I was intellectually aware of that. While I was driving at a level where I just kept thinking, you know what? For first time out in this car ever, I'm okay. It's pretty hot. Yeah. And yet I kept thinking, I'm not even touching this car. I'm nowhere near anything where the car is just even questioning me. Hmm. So that was a situation where it was like the much more car than I'm aware of. Twitter has offered us a question from Evercrush asking oh, yeah. us, 
about the aspect that we appreciate most about cars in general. Mm-hmm. Is it power, handling, styling, or comfort? And if you could only pick three out of the four, I will say this is this is shaving it close. Okay, but styling for me because of my background because I went to car design school. I have a degree in transportation design. Mm-hmm. I love looking at cars. I love sketching them. I love proportions. Yeah. I love highlights and color. Rolling art. Mm-hmm. And that's what has always caught my eye. I'm always drawn to cars because of styling. And then now power, handling, comfort, they're real close behind, but I suppose comfort would be last. Interesting. Interesting. My list is totally different. <laughs> I'm glad. I know. I, I <laughs> Handling is the biggest thing for me. Yeah. I, I just, yeah. that's, I mean, look at the cars I own and why I love them. Of course. Handling is the biggest thing for me. Of course. And then I would say second to that is actually comfort. Hmm. And I'm not thinking of luxur- luxury here. I'm thinking of just comfort. I want a really good driving position. I want good ergonomics. The things I need to interact with need to be comfortable and fall to hand easily and everything is well thought out. I want to be comfortable in the car. Yeah, fair enough. I'll give you a great example. The Evo 10 that I love, love that car. One of the greatest things for handling Great seats, terrible seating position. And yeah, every time is. I drive one, I think, how is the seating position this awful while well, this seat is this great? Well, the Recaro seats, not exactly. the stupid. Exactly. And that's know, why that bugs me. So I would seats. say handling first, comfort second, styling third, power last. Interesting. Because in power most, comes and goes, right? Because, it, because in most situations, you can get a car up to a speed that is plenty quick enough. You didn't get there faster than anybody else, but you got up to a speed that is plenty quick enough. Mm-hmm. If you have good handling, you can hang on to that speed and you can scare Everyone, including yourself. I love that our responses are so different, but they're valid. I, I just yeah, feel like... But you can see it in our makeup and the cars we buy and how we drive. But again, it's sure. all sliced very thinly. It's not oh, like sure. this is yeah, yeah. way out here in the lead versus... You know what I mean? I yeah. think they're all really, really close, but you yeah. know, we got to decide. I, I wanted to speak to Dua Rockwell's question on Instagram real quick. You've asked this a couple times, a couple ways. I, I want to touch on this real quick. He's, he's asking about generational changes of models. Mm. And how do you decide? Do you buy the current one when you know the new one's oh. coming? How do you do, do that? Do you buy the new iPhone when the exactly, exactly. old you one know? is now so, on sale? So he's looking he, – specifically, he's looking actually at the Mazda CX-5 and going, okay. the new one looks so cool. Do I get an old one? What do I do? I'm going to give you my answer here, and I'm going to play right into my wife and I's uh, Cayenne. Okay. okay. My thinking is it depends on whether or not you want to take the hit, and it is a hit, of buying new. Yeah. yeah. Because what I would submit to you is this. Buy the last year or the second to last year of the old outgoing model because you're going to get a really good deal on it. Yeah, true. Keep that car for a couple years, and now you're buying the second year of the new model. Right. And you can stay on that cycle and stay, you're just a slight step behind, but you're staying in, you know, a lot of times the first year of the new model is the one you want to avoid anyway. You're staying away from that and you're saving yourself a lot of money in depreciation. That would be my recommendation. Unless a car is revolutionized and the CX-5 is good, period. Mm-hmm. Unless a car has been revolutionized, mm-hmm. I really most of the time wouldn't say wait on the new one. I would say get the one now. Try to get a deal on it, and then you can get a deal on a used version of the upgrade down the line. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, speaking of Cayennes, you know, you and your wife have one. Mm-hmm. I'm not just over the moon about the new Cayenne, the brand new Cayenne that's came out. It's cool, but I see your point. I'm kind of all about like the 2013 to 2015s. That's where the deals are. Somewhere in there. Yeah. And unless, I, I will say, unless it's a dramatic change. The engine is 
far better, more power, and sure, the model sure. is dramatically different instead of just a refresh. And the price is a lot lower. We're not talking Cayennes. We're talking CX-5s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here, yeah. it's more of a styling refresh, but you're still getting, on the prior model, great engine, decent tech. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. still relevant and sure, modern. absolutely. Great ergonomics, all that kind of stuff. If it's just, hey, I want the cooler-looking one, well, you'd be prepared to take the hit, as you said. Mm-hmm. But unless it's a, hey, this is a major leap, brand new engine, we lighten the chassis by 400 pounds, which incidentally is what the Cayenne does. But again, I don't think it justifies Mm. the price. I don't think it's, I mean, brand new interior, more tech and all that kind of stuff. But then I think, well, the the deals are way back here and I'd be perfectly happy with a 13. I can think of of one that might make an exception. And and we've talked a lot about how much we like the third gen, the NC Miata. Mm -hmm. We actually had a question a while back about why do we like the NC Miata? Keep in mind, we are talking stock cars. One of the questions that came up was, right. what about the NC Miata versus a tuned NA? Well, the tuned NA is going to win. Yeah. But in yeah. stock cars, we like the we think the NC. Let me put it another way: we think the NC is the most approachable for more, the most people. Yeah. I yeah. love the NA. I like the NB, but I cannot fit. So for right there, I'm out. Sure. You're under six feet tall, buy an NB. You'll love it. I can, I don't fit. I physically don't fit in the car. I'm, it's like Barbie's Corvette for me. I can't do it. Okay. So anyway, so the NC I can fit. I Too think bad it's you're not more, named Ken. It's the more approachable Miata for more people. But look at the difference between the NC and the current ND. Sure. That's, That's a, a place major where there's such a major change that I could see somebody going, I'm just going ND. I totally get that. As much as we yeah. recommend the NC, yeah. the ND is such a change in size and engine and everything has changed on that car. I can see you just go, you know what? I'm taking a hit. I'm going for the new model. For one of our upcoming Velocity shows, we actually break down and slice up the Fiat 124 versus <laughs> do. the new ND Miata. We do, yeah. And uh, and the new 86 as well. So that'll be uh, that'll that's be a fun, fun one. to put yeah, out there. Is. Guys, thank you so much for all your questions. We really appreciate it. Keep writing to us, again, with your own debates and your own questions on social media. And uh, we are definitely looking forward to next time. Cheers, everyone. Let me tell you about Pete, who loved hockey and always wanted to play in the NHL. Pete played since he was three and begged his mom to let him stay on the ice. Why, some nights he even slept in his hockey skates. Pete practiced and practiced until one day when he was 47, Pete realized he just wasn't that good. So he threw his skates in the trash. But then he heard how Geico, proud partner of the NHL, could save him money on car insurance. So he switched and saved a bunch. So it all worked out. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. Federal government worker Blake Murray in D.C. says he's pretty much had it with the partial government shutdown. It's pretty demoralizing, um, you know, and I feel like kind of a pawn in a political game and totally powerless. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is asking President Trump to postpone his January 29th State of the Union address, citing security concerns. But Republicans say this is just politics, shutdown politics, a move intended to keep President Trump off the national stage. Going to prison for 20 years, a Tennessee teacher who took a 15-year-old student and ran for weeks prosecutor Dan Cochran. I think it's a serious sentence. 20 years is a significant amount of time. He's going to have all that time to think about what he did, the consequences of it. We asked for 30, obviously, but 20 is a very serious sentence, and we feel good about it. An employee and a customer at an IHOP restaurant in Huntsville, Alabama, were killed in a shooting that also injured another employee. I'm Rita Foley.